I want to begin with a question. Would your friends say that you know how to tell a good story or that you know how to kill a good story? (laughs) Okay, when you begin to tell a tale, whether you're recapping your day's events or you're telling about a ball game or a movie that you've recently been to, do people's eyes light up or do their eyes glaze over? Are you a good storyteller? Now, this is the second week of a series that we're calling Storytellers. If you brought a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 5, Gospel of Mark. Take the outline out. Uh, if, you're, if you're a Christ follower, there are two stories that God wants you to learn how to tell. And he wants you to learn how to tell them well and how to tell them frequently. Tell them as often as you possibly can. The first story is your story. It's the story of how you came to faith in Christ. The story of the difference that God is, is, is presently making in your life. The second story I call the God story. This is the story from the Bible of how God saves people from the penalty of their sins. The penalty of our sins is what? Call it out. It's death. It's spiritual death. At some point in the future, physical death and ultimately eternal death. God wants to save people from the penalty of their sins. That's the God story, what it's all about. Two stories. So today our focus is on your story. Next week we're going to talk about the God story. So my goal is to coach you today how to tell your story in a clear and compelling way. But I'm not going to be the only coach. Uh, I have enlisted the help of six assistant coaches today, six friends of mine who are going to come out on the platform two at a time, and they're going to tell you their story. And we're going to go to school on them, okay? They're going to be kind of role models for us. We're going to listen to how they do it, and we're going to learn from them. But before they start coming out here onto the platform, I want to take you to Mark chapter 5, because there's a story here. There's a role model that we're going to take a look at. Mark doesn't tell us the guy's name, but he gives us a detailed account of his story. And we're going to cover the entire story of this guy in Mark 5, but I want to begin by jumping into the end of the story. So we're going to jump right to the end of the story. Let me recap the story so you'll understand the end of the story. Uh, Jesus has just delivered this guy from the tyranny of demons. Now, Now, some people don't believe in demons, some, some people think that demons are just a, a religious superstition. Or maybe demons are a way that the first century world described mental illness. You know, they didn't have the category of mental illness, so they described it as demons. But, but that's not what the Bible says. The, the, the Bible depicts demons as very real, unseen spiritual beings. And if you believe in a real, unseen spiritual God... If you believe in real, unseen spiritual angels, it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to believe in real, unseen spiritual demons, powers of evil. And just a side note here, one of my research projects this this past summer has been on demons and their influence in our world today, and you're going to hear that leaking out in a series that we're doing in late November, so preview of coming attractions Uh, Jesus had just delivered this guy from the tyranny of demons. And this guy is so grateful for the dramatic positive change that Jesus has brought to his life that he just wants to hang out with Jesus. This is the end of the story. Pick it up at verse 18. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, okay, Jesus is about to leave this guy, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Okay, who does this guy want to hang out with? Jesus and Jesus' buddies who are all getting into the boat. He wants to hang out with fellow believers. And Jesus says, no, you're not coming with us. I want you to go home. I want you to hang out with your friends. I want you to hang out with your family. Why? So that you can tell them. That's the operative word here. You'll see the word tell once in verse 19 and a second time in verse 20. If you got your own Bible, circle or underline the word tell. Your job, Jesus said, is to tell your friends what the Lord has done in your life. Jesus wants this guy to be a story teller. Jesus wants us to become story tellers. And in order to do this, we can't be spending all of our time with fellow believers. You know, worshiping with believers at weekend services at Christ Community Church and studying God's Word with believers in community groups and working in various ministries, serving alongside believers socializing with believers, inviting them to our backyard barbecues and golfing with them and going on weekend getaways. and We can't be spending all our time with fellow believers. Many of us are believered out. We really are. Jesus says, you know, you've got you to be spending some of your time with people who aren't yet following me. Why? So that we can tell them what the Lord has done in our lives. And, and that story for every one of us who's a Christ follower, whether you've been a Christ follower for like two months now or for 20 years, that, that story has three parts. And this is the story I want to teach you to tell, your story. Okay, I believe God, if you're a Christ follower, God brought you here to teach you something today. So I want you to participate. This is going to be a little like a workshop. I'm going to ask a little more uh, than that you just sit there and listen. So if you haven't taken your program out yet, take it out. Here's the first part of your story. Three parts to every story. The first part is the before part, my life without Christ. Okay, I'm going to get you thinking about your life without Christ so that you can tell that part of your story. Now, before we do that, Let's take a look at this guy's story, the before part of his story. Mark chapter 5, the first verses. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This guy was far from God. I would dare say this guy was further from God than most of us have ever been. Now, he had a number of things working against him. Okay, first of all, he had grown up in a pagan environment. And I know that from the opening verse. Jesus and his disciples go across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, the lake that's being spoken of here is the Sea of Galilee. When you hear Sea of Galilee, you may think salt water, 
but actually the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. It's about the same size. If you've ever been up to Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, it's about the same size, same shape as Lake Geneva. And, and, and on the east side of the lake, that's where the pagans lived. On the west side were the Jews. And so Jesus and his disciples are going to the pagan side of the lake. Back in 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey had conquered this area and reestablished 10 towns called the Decapolis as showcases of pagan culture, Greek pagan culture. So this guy had grown up in Pagansville. All right, now, uh, Mark doesn't tell us the the name of his his exact town, but we we think it was a place called Kersi, K-U-R-S-I. I've stood in the place where Kersi once existed. Back in the 1970s, they were bulldozing a road on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and they unearthed this ancient town of Kersi. And Bible scholars feel this may be the town where the demoniac in Mark 5 came from. And the reason they conclude this is near to the town of Kersey is a a cliff that drops off into the Sea of Galilee, which would have made the perfect place for 2,000 pigs to, to dive in and drown and lose their lives. You're saying, what do pigs have to do with it? Well, I haven't told you the whole story yet. So hang in there. This is a guy who was far from God. He'd grown up in a pagan environment. Uh, secondly, he was demonized. Verse 2 describes him as a man with an impure spirit. That's putting it mildly. Yeah, the truth is this dude had a major case of demonization. You know, a little later on in the story, Jesus asks the demon that was terrorizing this guy to, to identify itself. Drop down to verse 9, if you've got your own Bible in front of you. And the demon responds, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, now Legion was the designation of the largest troop unit in the Roman army. A legion was comprised of 5,600, 5,600 battle-hardened soldiers. One Bible scholar comments that the name legion here signifies that the guy's demons were characterized by vast numbers, complex organization, invincible strength, and relentless oppression. Yikes. (laughs) This guy was far from God. Grew up in a pagan environment. He was demonized. Third, he had led a lonely, lonely life, had a violent temper, and was controlled by a self-destructive addiction. Now, uh, probably some of you have suffered from one of those maladies. You know, loneliness, or a, a temper and anger problem, or a controlling addiction. This guy was consumed by these things, terrorized by them. Uh, you know, he led a lonely life. You think you know loneliness? According to verses 2 and 5, this guy lived among the tombs. Uh, We're not sure whether this meant raised tombs or uh, whether uh, Mark here is referring to caves in the side of a hill where bodies would have been buried. But in either case, he lived outside of the town, away from the general population in a desolate area. That's That's where he lived. That's lonely. He had a violent Temper. You think you've got anger problems? Verses 3 and 4, people tried to subdue him from time to time with chains, and he just snapped the chains. Matthew says he was so violent that people never passed his way. They would always circumvent. Yeah, you know where the crazy guy lives? Go around that. 
And he had this self-destructive habit going, this, this addiction. Verse 5 says that day and night he would walk around crying out, cutting himself with stones. If you thought this is a new phenomenon among middle school and high school students, think again. This guy, this guy was a cutter back in the first century. This was one messed up guy. Now, I'd like to introduce you to a couple of friends of mine. Uh, they weren't quite as messed up as this guy was before they surrendered their lives to Christ, but there is a before side to their story. So I'm asking them to tell their story, the before and after, but I want you to pay closest attention to the before, because we're going to learn how to tell the before side of our stories as we listen to them. So Jordan, get us started. Hi, good morning. I'm Jordan Chapman. Before I knew Christ, my life wasn't based on anything important. I was living a life through the lens of other people, and I was making decisions that were based on worldly, senseless ideas. My mother, who's crazy and an amazing Christian woman, had raised me in a Christian home and sent me to every possible Christian organization ever ever made. Um, So I knew about God and the Bible, but it wasn't something I actively followed because I had no reason to. No one actually explained to me what it meant to be a true Christian and why it was a life-changing decision and a free gift. When I got out of high school, I was invited to attend Crave, which is the college ministry at Christ Community Church. When I got there, I was actually able to see people who followed Christ and actually did something about it, not just saying it and then never doing anything. Um, They were filled with love and joy and peace and happiness, and that's something that I didn't have at all. It was through this group and also the consistent prayers of my wonderful mom and the godly advice from her that caused me to see that there is a true God, and he actually works in people. He's not a myth, he's not a cult, and he's not just a normal man, but a loving God who has the power to change people from old to new. Now, the people I were with, they weren't perfect and never claimed to be, but they wanted to humbly follow Jesus Jesus because of what he had done for them. That's what I desired, and so during my time at Crave, I decided to give my life to Jesus. The greatest benefit for me of knowing Jesus is knowing his love and how he loved people and making that an example to me on how I should love other people. He's given me so many friends and people on my walk, and there's something special about giving your life to Christ and the people that he puts in your life to guide you, stay lifelong friends, and grow in Christ together. My name is Laura Barbigan, and I came to Christ by asking some of those big life questions. During my undergraduate years, the big life question was, where's the party and who's going to be there? During graduate school, those questions started to grow into, really, is that what life is about? What is life about? And I'd heard people talk about God and that they followed him, but it was kind of sketchy. And so I met with a graduate student, Mark, who's now my husband, Um, who helped me to process through some of those questions. And the way that he helped me process through them is by telling his own story. Every time a question would come up, he would share how he answered it in his own life. And so as he talked about his own sinful condition and identified the sins that were exhibited in him and that he had to confess, I kind of felt like he was talking about sins that I also shared. But he also shared about this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that Jesus Christ had died in order to reconcile us with this God. So that we could be one with God. I got it, but I still wasn't convinced. He gave me a Bible. I told him I wasn't going to read it. 
until one day when I decided that I wanted to be able to discuss this with him using his own arguments against him. So I pulled the Bible off the shelf and started reading it on page 1825, where he told me to start, and I read the book of John. In the book of John, as I read through it, I believe that the Holy Spirit actually worked through the word of God into my soul to convince me of its truth. And by the time I got to John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I was a goner. So I th just fell on the floor and I confessed my sinful nature and my need for a savior, but not just a savior, but also I needed a Lord who would run my life because I couldn't do that very well. Since then, since I've accepted Christ, there are two things which I bring with me. One of them is a knowledge that there is an absolute truth, and that absolute truth is in one sovereign king over all, the author of scripture and the creator of everything that we see, and those things have to hold together. And that leads to my second point, is that I still ask big questions. I teach uh, and, and do research in neuropsychology and spiritual formation. And asking big questions, I have the freedom now to ask those. And there is nothing psychologically, theologically, philosophically that I cannot ask because there is one true sovereign king and all truth is God's truth. Okay, thank you, Jordan. And Laura, let me give you some tips. Okay, you want to jot these down if you're constructing the before part of your story. First tip is this. Uh, when you're putting that part of the story together, answer the question, what caused me to see that I need Christ? Okay, write that question out because even if you can't answer it right now off the top of your head, at some point in the next 24 hours, I encourage you to think it through. What, what caused you to see your need for Christ? Now, you know how the demonized man in Mark 5 would answer that question, and you've heard how Jordan and how Laura answered that question, but how would you answer the question? What caused you to see that you need Christ? You know, even if you weren't living a horrible life before Christ, because some of us say, well, you know, my story, I, I did not live a flamboyantly scandalous life before Christ, so I, I don't have much of a before or maybe you trusted Christ when you were seven or eight years old. That's when you surrendered your life to Christ. I don't have much of a before. You can still answer this question, what caused you to see your need for Christ? In fact, if you don't have a spectacular story and you're wondering, can God use my story because it's so plain vanilla? The, the answer is yes. Your story is going to connect with other people whose lives are, are plain vanilla right now. So you're saying to yourself, well, yeah, I basically kept my nose clean. I was a churchgoer before I recognized my need for Christ. Well, that story is going to connect with other people who are keeping their noses clean and going to church but don't yet have Christ. Your, your story, whatever it is, is going to connect with somebody else who's living a similar life but needs Christ. You get it? Good. And if you're still wrestling with that and you're saying, yeah, but I trusted Christ years ago. Or again, there wasn't much life before I surrendered at age, you know, eight to Christ. Let, let me give you one other question that might help you. Beside the one, what caused me to see that I need Christ, another way to put it is, what would my life be like without Jesus? So even if you've forgotten what the before is like, you could answer that question. What would your life be like without Jesus? That, that describes the before. Second tip is this. 
I'd encourage you to organize the before part of your story around a theme. Around a theme. This will help you be clear and concise. You, you don't want to give people every detail of your life before Christ. What, what, what was your life before Jesus generally characterized by? Was it materialism? You know, you were pursuing the things that money could buy? What, was it an addiction that controlled you? Was it a lack of purpose? You know, I think, I think Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, it sold so many copies because it struck a chord with people. So many people are looking for purpose in their lives. Was yours a purposeless life? What, what was the theme of your life before Christ a rebellious spirit? Was it self-righteousness? You thought you were pretty good and didn't need Jesus? When I tell the before part of my story, my theme is self-centeredness. You know, I tell people before Christ, I was all about me. Okay, I, I didn't think in terms of what I could do for other people, how I could serve them. I was thinking in terms of what they could do for me. I used people in relationships. And, and there came a point in my life when I kind of got sick and tired of that. And I realized I was burning a lot of relational bridges doing that. And I realized that that sort of behavior distanced me from a holy God. I had grown up going to church. You know, I kept my nose clean, morally speaking, was relatively, uh, you know, a straight arrow. But this self-centeredness made me sick. And I knew it made God sick. And that, that's where my story Began. Now, one of the advantages of knowing your theme, what's the theme of your story? One of the advantages is that that's the point at which you'll find yourself connecting with other people. So you come across someone who's in a troubled marriage, and, and you, you used to be in a troubled marriage before Jesus. Or, or you're, you're, you're talking to someone who worries about everything. They've got anxiety problems, and you used to be a worry wart. Or you're talking to a guy whose life revolves around sports. Sports is his idol. And you used to worship sports before you found that it's much more worthwhile to worship Christ and let your life center around him. So you found something in common. If you can identify your theme, you'll find that theme popping up in other people's lives. Now just a footnote here, you don't want to identify that theme out loud to them. Okay, my, my theme is self-centeredness. I, I don't say to someone, you know, I used to be as self-centered as you, but <laughs> that doesn't work well. Okay, but in the back of my mind, when I come across someone whose life revolves around them, I say, you know, I, I know what that's like. You know, I know what that's like. That's where I used to be before Christ. Here's a third tip for you. Earn the right to tell your story by asking good questions and being an interested listener. Okay, you earn the right to tell your story by asking good questions and being an interested listener. Let me tell you, you'll put your story together, you'll be looking for a place to use it, but no one will ever say, would you tell me your story of how you surrendered your life to Christ? It just, it doesn't happen that way. So what gives you the right to jump in and tell your story is that you have first drawn out others' stories. And, and one of the ways you, you do that is with a good question, such as, this is my favorite, so where are you on your spiritual journey? Just jot that question down. That's worth the price of admission today. You know, where are you on your spiritual journey? It'll get you talking about spiritual things. Now, last weekend, I mentioned two books written by a couple of guys who love to share their faith in Christ. 
And I encourage you to go to our bookstore, go to Resource Bookstore uh, on any of our four campuses and pick up one of these books, read it for yourself. One is by a guy named Ron Hutchcraft uh, called A Life That Matters. The other is by a guy named Mark Cahill called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. There are great questions that both of those guys use sprinkled throughout their book. Uh, I'll give you one example. In Mark Cahill's book, uh, Mark's the guy that went to Auburn University with uh, Charles Barkley, played on the same basketball team as Charles. And one of the questions he says he likes to ask is, now, now listen to this, can I ask you an interesting question? That's his question. He, he says, you know, to come, to come off the blocks and say, where are you in your spiritual journey, uh, may seem to come out of left field. So if you'll preface it with, can I ask you an interesting question? Yeah, sure. Like, like, where are you on your spiritual journey? So you've gained permission with that initial question. I read that and I thought, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that one. So speaking of spiritual journeys, I want to go back to the guy in Mark 5. Those are some tips to help you get started on your before, the before part of your story. But now we're going to take a look at the middle part of the story, the and part. That's my decision to surrender to Christ. So the before is my life without Christ. Now we're going to look at the and, my decision to surrender to Christ. Going back to Mark 5, pick it up at verse 6 where we left off. When this guy saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Well, a large herd of pigs, this is the pig part of the story, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, this guy has a dramatic conversion experience. Verse 6 says, when he spots Jesus, he comes racing at him. Now, you got to imagine this. I mean, this is a guy who's nuts. This is a guy who's violent. This is a guy who's all cut up. Luke tells us in his gospel account that the guy typically ran around naked. So just picture. No, don't picture. (laughs) Here's this guy racing full bore at Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and stops. Jesus is just standing there waiting, and the guy comes and he drops to his knees. Son of the Most High God, he calls out. Now, is this the point in this man's story where he volitionally, voluntarily surrenders his life to Jesus, or is this dropping to his knees, is it just the demons being subjugated to the powerful presence of the Son of God. And so they're dropping the guy to his knees. The the word fell in verse 6, that he fell on his knees, is a word that's often used in Scripture associated with worship and with reverence. So is it this guy's reverence voluntarily given to Christ or the reverence of the demons forced upon them by the presence of Christ? Mark doesn't say. But we do know as the story continues that Jesus delivered this guy from the presence of evil, cast out the demons, 
And there was a change, and by the end of the story, we're certain that he has voluntarily surrendered his life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We know that from the the closing verses that I read to you a few moments ago. Go back to the closing verses, 19 and 20. Uh, Jesus said to the guy, he's not going to let him into his boat. He wants him to go back to his home. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. If you got your own Bible, circle the word Lord. Drop down to verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, go tell people how much the Lord has done for you. And so the guy goes and tells them what Jesus had done for him. Circle Lord and Jesus, draw a line between the two of them. Because who was the Lord in this guy's estimation? It was Jesus. He recognized that the Lord was Jesus. The one who had power and authority even over demons. The one who by his mercy looked on his uh, pitiful situation and delivered him from evil. No doubt about it at this point in the story, the end of the story, you know, this guy knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I want to introduce you to Tyler and Tanya. They're going to tell you again their complete before and after story, but I want you to pay closest attention to the middle part, the and part, the who, what, when, where, why of them making the decision to surrender to Christ just as the man in Mark 5 did. Go for it, Tyler. Hi, my name is Tyler Mattis. I grew up in a regular home in Elgin until I was about 15 years old. One day, I came home, and my parents told me they were getting a divorce. It was really hard on me. My dad was my best friend, and it just left a huge void in my life. About three years later, my best friend, Jake Dahlberg, asked me if I wanted to play some dodgeball. Playing 14 years of baseball, I said, sure, why not? He told me he was going to be here at the church, and I said, okay, I'm down. So I got here, and I met a few people, and I thought they were being really nice, like too nice, like fake nice, like not real. So I kept talking to more people, and I found out it was the real nice that these people were. It was genuine. It was, it was real. So he kept nagging me to come to Mosaic every single week for three weeks, and I said no thanks every single time. Finally, on the third week, I went, and I loved every minute of it. I continued going for another month, and on the fourth week, I had intense shoulder pain from a surgery I had on my shoulder about a year prior. At the time, my leader was uh, Dean Goodman, and he asked me if we could all pray over me. And I said, sure, why not? I didn't understand the power of prayer. While they were praying over me, all the pain that I was pushing down from my parents' divorce just was released from me. There was no emotional pain anymore. And all the pain that I had in my shoulder that night disappeared and was something I couldn't deny. So that night, with my knees on the ground and my forehead on the ground as well, I said, Jesus, you are the one. You are my Savior. You are King. I want to be a part of this, and you are my Savior. And I gave my, my life to Jesus right there during Mosaic. Um, Wednesdays were the greatest night of my uh, night during my senior year. I loved every minute of being there. And I still love it because I want, I want the kids to feel like they belong like I did. And so now I lead there at Mosaic. And I want every kid walking out saying, yeah, me too. I have the same problems. So since I met Jesus and found him, I no longer searching for the void in my life. It's been filled by him. Mm-hmm. 
Good morning. My name is Tanya Miller, and for most of my life, I didn't even believe that God existed. I thought that he was a spiritual crutch for people who just couldn't handle living life on their own. At the same time, I had this sort of deep, nagging sense of loneliness and despair that I could never shake. I tried to fill it with all kinds of things, like food and dating and career stuff and travel, and none of it ever satisfied this deep need that I had to be loved. After several years of seeking, I came here to Christ's community, and I began attending a community group. My group leader, Monica, would get together with me one-on-one, -on -one, and we would kind of wrestle through my spiritual questions, and she helped me study the Bible. And eventually, one day, she just asked me, you know, if Jesus is who he says he is, what are you waiting for? And I said, oh, I can't. I, I have all these spiritual questions. You know, accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior is the biggest decision that I'll ever make with my life. It will be a dramatic change, and it'll never be the same. And I don't want to do that half-heartedly. The night that I finally surrendered and gave my life to Christ, I was here in the auditorium at St. Charles. It was the Jim and Jill Kelly Wow Weekend Service, February 26th of 2011. And I heard Jim Kelly that night talk about how he had unanswered questions in his spiritual journey and how eventually he just had to come to the point where he understood that that was okay, that we're all going to have unanswered questions until we meet Jesus face to face. And that was a huge moment for me. At the end of the service, I just prayed to God and I said, you know, just, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I confessed them. I was honestly sorry. And I just said, come into my life and show me how it's supposed to be lived. You know, if you had told me five years ago that I would be here today on stage talking to you about this incredible change that Jesus has made in my life, I would have told you that you were crazy. But this is an incredible place to be. Thank you so much. You know, I hope you got the part that if you're still a spiritual seeker, like you haven't crossed the line of trusting Christ, it, it doesn't mean that you can't get into a community group. Uh, in fact, this AHA Moments campaign that we're starting, it's a great time to jump into a group and to ask your questions. If you got questions, this is the place to be. So that's the, the middle part of the story, the and part. I want to go to the after part. Okay, we've looked at the before part of your story, the and part of your story, how you made that decision to trust Christ. Now the after, my life with Christ. I want to go back to Mark chapter 5, pick it up where we left off at verse 14. So the pigs have just drowned, okay? Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, told about the pigs as well, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. You know, it's real interesting as you read this story to note where it's positioned in the Gospel of Mark. Okay, this is Mark chapter 5. If you've got your own Bible, go back one chapter. Mark chapter 4. Mark closes with a story. What is the header of the story? The last passage in Mark 4. How does it read in your Bible? Call it out. Jesus calms the storm. So I think, 
Mark has deliberately told a story about Jesus calming the storm in nature as a lead-in to a story about Jesus calming the storm in a tormented guy. Now, you know the story uh, of the storm, probably. Jesus and his disciples go out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. By the way, as a, as a relatively small lake, storms come out of nowhere, and you know when a squall hits, the water can get really dangerous very quickly. And evidently, on this occasion, it was so bad that even seasoned fishermen thought they were going to drown. And so, so they call out to Jesus, Jesus, do something. And if you got your Bible, look at verse 39 of the previous chapter, Mark 4. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Again, I think Mark deliberately tells that story about Jesus calming the storm in nature so he could lead into the story about Jesus calming the storm in a tormented man. Go to chapter 5, verse 15. When the townspeople came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What were they afraid? What were they afraid of? You know, evidently, the power... <laughs> the power that could so transform this man that they, they all knew what he was like before. And now, now they're looking at the transformation. It's, it's almost a little bit scary. When, when people surrender their lives to Jesus, Jesus transforms them. How has Jesus transformed your life? Okay, what changes has Jesus made in your life? This is the after part of your story. Who are you now? Who are you now? When I wrote that question in my notes this week, I, I immediately thought of an anecdote I'd heard recently about the famous comedian Milton Berle. Uh, toward the end of his life, Milton Berle liked to go to nursing homes and entertain senior citizens. And on one occasion, he was uh, doing his shtick, and he noticed, to his dismay, there was a lady sitting on, on the outer perimeter of things, and she was paying no attention. She seemed totally disinterested. So, uh, uh, you know, his curiosity was piqued, and he went over to her afterwards, and he said, excuse me, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she looked up, up at him, and she smiled, and she said uh, very gently, she said, no, I don't, but if you'll go to the, the desk and ask the nice people there, they'll tell you. <laughs> So the question is, who are you now? Do you, do you know who you are? Okay, what, what transformations has Christ made in your life? There's, there's a, another way to put that question. Let me pose it to you this way. What are a couple of the greatest benefits of knowing Christ that you've experienced? Again, if you're thinking, transformation-wise, I, you know, I just don't have a scintillating story to tell. You know, I didn't used to be sleeping around or doing drugs or stealing from my company or, you know, there, there, there aren't these big, I used to be this and now I'm this. Okay, but what benefits have you experienced from knowing Christ? There have been some special blessings he's brought to your life. What are they? Now, I'm going to introduce to you two final friends, Jerry and Eve. They're going to tell their before and after story. When they get to the after part, that's where I want you to listen, okay, so that you can put your after picture together.
My name is Jerry Wibben. Uh, my wife Mary and I were married in a church in September of 1984. Uh, this was all of our involvement that we had with God. In April 2011, my marriage was about to be over uh, because of my addictions to drug, alcohol, and lust, which controlled my life. I felt unworthy, alone, afraid. My insides never matched what others saw on the outside. My wife and I knew we needed church. Uh, in April 2011, we attended Christ Community. Uh, I realized that I was not in control, and there was only one person that could help me with that, and that was Jesus. Uh, we came up after the service. Um, I couldn't even say what I was struggling with because of the shame. And Pastor Jim and his wife Sue prayed for us. Uh, I picked up the next step packet and began reading the book, uh, You Can Know God Personally. And in reading and praying, um, I had this overwhelming feeling of love, peace, and joy that just entered into my heart. Uh, at that point in time, I knew uh, that I was different and that I would, was going to be okay. Um, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a new man. I am a new husband. I'm a new father to my children. I have been free from alcohol, drugs, and lust since April 12, 2011. I can stand up here today. Thank you. I can stand up here today and know my story and know that I am no longer defined by my past because of the forgiveness of Christ. Jesus Christ defines who I am. I am loved. I am forgiven. Part of the restoration process I've been able to heal with my family, uh, I'm learning to show my love for my children, David, Cindy, and Dennis, in more caring ways. Uh, and they are also learning to share their hearts with me. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my son David, uh, we were sitting uh, in, under the shade tree. Uh, it was a beautiful day, and he says, Dad, after everything that's happened in the last year and a half, I want to forgive you. Being connected to God, I am more connected to my wife, Mary. I can look her in the eyes, see her heart, and I am not afraid of her seeing my heart anymore. We are celebrating 29 years of marriage next Sunday. Hi, my name is Eve Diaz. I know that God has a great purpose for me in my life. When I was about three months old, I had meningitis. The doctors told my parents that for sure that I was going to die. My mom, my parents put Bible verses all over the walls, and I was, and God healed me. Since then, there have been many people in my life, including my family, who have told me about G who Jesus is, that God sent his only son to die on the cross for all of us. It was last year that I prayed at Hot U with a leader to make the decision to ask God into my heart. One of the greatest benefits of following Jesus is knowing that he's always there for me, no matter what I'm going through. I love being able to talk to him wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. I absolutely love being able to serve, like helping moms and dads and their kids and cleaning too. But sorry, I don't have time to help all of you. <laughs> it just feels awesome. I love being able to, pe to tell people about the gospel and what Jesus did, for j not just for me, but for all of us. I love being able, he, he saves my life. And I want to tell others how he can save theirs, too. Thank you.
we wanted to give you a cross-section today so that nobody could say, I don't have a story to tell, or I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too this, I'm too that. You got a story that God wants you to tell. Now, let me wrap things up, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have a before and after story that he wants you to tell others. You have a before and after story that he wants you to tell others. I find it interesting in the story of the demonized man as I ruminated on the story this past week. I noted that there are three strong requests made of Jesus in this story. I want you to take a look at these with me for a moment. Verse 10. Okay, the demons begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. You could circle the word begged. And so Jesus says, okay. And instead of sending them out of the area, he sends them into a local herd of pigs. Drop down to verse 17. The townspeople come to Jesus and they began to plead, circle the word plead with Jesus to leave the region. And Jesus again says, okay. And he gets into the boat and prepares to shove off. One, one final request, strong request made to Jesus in the next verse, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged, circle the word begged, to go with him. And once again, Jesus says, okay, hop in. No, he didn't. On two occasions, he says, okay. On this third occasion, he says, not okay. You're not coming with me. Why not? Because you got a job to do. I want you to go back. I want you to tell your family. I want you to tell your friends about what the Lord has done for you. Friends, it's not okay not to tell others our story. It's not okay not to tell others our story. If Christ has made a difference in your life, you've got a story to tell. So let me close with three quick applications for you. Application number one, sit down in the next day or, or, or so, you know, next 24 hours. Sit down with a blank piece of paper, if that's how you work best, or your iPad or your, your PC, and sketch out your story, your before and after. Here's what life was like before Christ. Here, here's what convinced me I needed Jesus. Okay, here's the end. Here's how it happened for me, where it happened, with whom, uh, you know, what was going on at the time. Was it at church or with a friend at a coffee shop or whatever? And here's the after. Here are the changes that Christ is bringing to my life. Or here are the benefits I'm experiencing now that I know Christ. This is not an essay. I'm not asking you to sit down and spend a couple of hours working out an essay. I'm saying take 10 to 15 minutes and put some bullet points on a piece of paper or on a computer screen. What is the before and after? What does it look like for you? Second, word of application is this. Then practice telling that story out loud. You know, by yourself. Do it under three minutes. See, the people whose story, stories you heard today, they all told their story in two minutes or less. So you don't want to tell your story so long that, again, people's eyes are glazing over and they're looking for the exits, Okay. You, you want to be able to tell this succinctly when you have the opportunity to do so. And you want to practice this. Mark Cahill, uh, who played basketball at Auburn with Charles Barkley, he says in his book, he says, the reason I was a good basketball player at Auburn on a basketball scholarship was not just natural talent. That was a small piece of it. 
He said it was because I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And he said, if you want to learn how to tell the good news to your friends, you got to practice. Because the first few times you do it, it's not going to go great. You're going to walk away saying, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that. And he, he says, that's okay. You, you don't walk out onto a basketball court and sink free throws your first time out. It's practice, practice, practice. So learn to tell your story, rehearse it, and then look for an opportunity to do so. And that's my third application for you. Make a list of eight to ten people in your life who you think Jesus might want you to tell your story to. Eight to ten people. You know, it, it may be a coworker, it may be a classmate, maybe your hairdresser. She's at the top of my list. Okay? Who are the people in your life that you engage with on a regular basis? And now that you have the list, what you're going to do is you're going to start praying for the people on the list. And here's here's the, the big kahuna challenge. Would you be brave enough to ask God, God, in the next seven days, before I come back to Christ Community Church next weekend, I want one shot at telling my story to somebody else. What would happen if hundreds of us from our four campuses had opportunities this week after putting our story together, to tell it to one person. You know, that person might decide to come to, to church with us next weekend. That, that person might eventually come to faith in Christ themselves. Now, we're about to celebrate a time of communion, so I'm going to close this portion of our service in prayer. And when I say amen, the campus pastors at all four campuses are going to lead you through a brief time of communion. So would you pray with me? Lord, how appropriate it is to conclude our service today with the reminder as we hold the juice and the bread in our hands of what it cost you to redeem us to yourself, what it cost you to be able to offer forgiveness as a gift through your son, Jesus. And and when we recognize what what you've done for us, God, may may it seem a, a small thing to us to tell our story. It's not, it's not something so intimidating that we can't do it. No, you've given so much for us. We could do this for you. We, we could make your name known among our friends. We could let others know what Christ has done for us. So give us the courage, the initiative. Open doors in our relationships to make it happen this week. For those of us who don't yet know Christ, don't have a story to tell, may even today be the day when we put our trust in him. And the story begins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.